Hi, you're now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. We're happy to bring you sermons like this one every week. You can find other sermons at our site at harvest-community.org. So without further ado, here's our speaker. That clip is, uh, we're looking at a pretty familiar passage of scripture this morning. I mean, so to be honest with you, I struggled a lot preparing this because we've heard these words from Jesus before. And I, I want to remind us that we are not meant to be normal. I, I really believe too often we are trying to fit in and blend into this world. And in doing so, we are missing out on the radical call that Jesus offers us as his disciples. So the question I want you to keep in the back of your mind throughout this message is, are you normal? Are you normal? I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying we should be weirdos, but we should be a little bit weird. Are we really different than those who do not know Christ? Do you guys have Heath's image? Okay. So that's, that's the image that Heath drew. And it, it's really trying to show that in the midst of the crowd, in the midst of the world, we should stand out for Christ. We should truly be different. So if you have your Bible, um, we're going to turn to Matthew 16, starting in verse 21. Matthew 16, verse 21. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed And on the third day, be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. So I want to kind of explain what's going on. Uh, before this passage, just prior to this, Jesus asked his followers, who do you say I am? And Peter is always quick to speak up. And he says these words that were revealed to him by the Father. He says, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And after this, Jesus begins to open up to his disciples. He begins to share with them what is about to take place that he will suffer and ultimately die. And and as Peter is hearing this, he cannot believe it. He is shocked. He is stunned. He will not put up with this crazy talk from Jesus. So like a teacher pulling a student who's misbehaving in class aside, Peter pulls Jesus aside and says to him, Lord, this shall never happen to you. This shall never happen to you. This is not the kind of life for a Messiah. Messiah is meant to rule, to save, to lead his people, not suffer and die. I know for those of you guys who remember your premarital counseling, I remember our mentor couple telling us not to use the words never or always when you're in the midst of a conflict. Right, Yvonne? We don't use the words never and always. We try not to. But here Peter is so sure of himself. 
He uses never two times in a row. Well, Jesus is not going to put up with this for too long. And he's quick to respond to Peter, and he rebukes him, saying, these words are not from God. These are from the enemy. And he says to Peter, you do not have in mind the things of God, but merely human concerns. And these words of Jesus about God's concerns versus human concerns kind of sets up the contrast for the rest of the passage. And, and for us who, who follow Jesus, how easy is it, is it for us still to see this life from our own perspective rather than God's perspective? This morning, we will be reminded of the radical call that Jesus places on us and how life in the kingdom of God is often upside down from life in this world. And I really believe Peter's kind of foolishness here should give us pause. It should give us caution. It should give us humility as we approach this passage. I mean, many of us have heard these words from Jesus already. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. But I think we can easily fall into the trap that Peter fell into. That we know better. That we got this figured out already. And so I want to invite us right now to just pause and to pray and to ask God to really help us get this this morning. To not only understand what this means, but to truly live it out and follow Jesus. So let's pray together. God, I, I pray for us as a community. Lord, I pray that you would give us humility of heart right now. That you would give us an openness to your spirit. What you want to say to us this morning, God. That we would truly be disciples. That we would truly live out this radical call of following you. And Lord, I pray even this morning for some people, uh, for recommitments to truly be your disciple. We pray that your spirit would just be active and working as we look at your word, that you would speak to us. So we pray this, God, in, in your name and for your sake. Amen. So the big idea this morning, a disciple is called to live upside down in contrast to the world. A disciple is called to stand out and to be different. And there's going to be three main points this morning. A disciple's desire, a disciple's duty, a disciple's delight. So the first point is a disciple's desire. Matthew 16, 24. And Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. I want to just kind of focus in on that first phrase, whoever wants to be my disciple. You know, as I, I've heard this passage so many times, but as I was reading it again, this really stuck out to me. Notice here that Jesus is not offering up a command. He's not saying, be my disciples. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple, whoever wants to be 
my disciple. This is an invitation from Jesus because he knows what he is asking of his followers is not something easy. So a disciple's desire. What does it mean to desire something or someone? For those of you who are single or those of you who are married, remember back to your single days when there was a person of the opposite sex who caught your attention. What begins to happen? You begin to think about that person. You think about the next time you're going to see them, what you're going to say, what you're going to wear. They begin to dominate your thoughts and your life. And so when it comes to being disciple, the the question we need to start with is, do we really want to be a disciple? Is that desire there, that drive there? Is Jesus on your mind often? And I really want us to ask this question not 15 years ago when you first accepted Christ, but let's ask this question today of ourselves. Today. Right now, do you really want to be a disciple? Do you have the drive and desire to live for for God first more than anything else? I don't know about you, but it's really hard for me to watch athletes who are kind of past their prime and just won't hang it up. I won't mention any names, uh, Brett Favre. (laughs) People that have experienced the glory of playing They've had incredible seasons in the past. There's no doubt about that. But it's obvious their skills have diminished. And it's just time for them to move on to something else. And I wonder how many of us are like this with our discipleship. That we think maybe that we're past our prime. And there are days in the past when you were on fire for God. Really wanting to grow and seek after him. Maybe that was your college years. And it can be easy for us to say, well, that was just a college thing. When I was young, I had passion and fire for God. I think sometimes we think we're okay because we've done our spiritual time. And we kind of accept as we grow older that our, our passion and desire for God will naturally fade. That's just the normal thing that will happen. And I just don't, I, don't, I won't buy that. I won't buy that. And I pray that you would not buy that. Can we be honest with ourselves and God today? Can we stop living in the past, but assess where are we at with our fire for God right now? And I really believe that the book of Psalms is one of the places we need to go often to rekindle our passion and desire for God. If you're taking notes, I'm going to read a few passages of Scripture. And maybe for you, if your desire for God is waning, maybe what you need to do tonight before you go to bed is just read through some of these psalms and ask God to reawaken your passion for Him. Psalm 42, verses 1 and 2. As a deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. This is not normal. This is a passion for God. 
You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. That's Psalm 63. The last one, Psalm 83. How lovely is your dwelling place. Lord Almighty, my soul yearns, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. My prayer this morning for us is for those of us who are, you know, far away in our desire for God. Is that we would just courageously admit that before him. We'd be be honest before God. And that we would ask him just for that fresh desire for him. In a moment, I'm actually going to, we're going to pause the message and just go into a, a couple minutes of quiet prayer. But maybe you need to pray something like this. God, I know my passion and desire for you is not what it should or could be. Help me not to live in the past anymore. But today to come after you and really seek you first. I want you to be my one desire above anything else. And God, I ask that you would do whatever it would take to awaken this in me. So we're going to do something different. So right now, I just want to invite you to pause before God, to quiet yourself before him, and ask the question, do I really want to be a disciple today? So take a minute before God. as we were praying, just hearing a child say, "Uh uh-oh, over and over. And just maybe for some of us, this is a uh uh-oh moment. 
not, not in shame or condemnation, but we just recognize before you that we are missing the most important thing, that we're running after so many other things with our desires, and we're missing out on you, God. So I pray that you would awaken the deadness in us, God, that your Holy Spirit would breathe new life and passion and desire for you. When you say to us, whoever wants to be my disciple of God, that we would, we would stand up and say, let it be me. God, give us that desire to want to follow you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The second point, disciples' duty. Disciples' duty. As I was preparing this, the word duty feels like a dirty word in our Christian culture these days. You don't hear that word too often anymore, like it's outdated or not in style. But I really believe that in this passage, there is this sense of duty that is, a disciple is called to. And we're, we're familiar with duty in other areas of our life. If you have a job, I mean, you know you have duties with your job. You have the duty to show up at a certain time, to put in your day's work to complete the assignments that your boss gives you. We don't question duty with our employment. Or if you're a parent, especially with young kids, I mean, you know the duties are endless. Waking up early in the morning, feeding them, changing diapers, getting them dressed. We get duty in other areas of our life. And Jesus, through this text, is calling us to a certain code of duty as a disciple, a way of life that demands everything from us. Verse 24, and Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for you to gain the whole world yet forfeit your soul? Or what can you give in exchange for your soul? Here Jesus is playing on that contrast about saving your life like the world does versus losing your life for Jesus. In this upside-down way of life that Jesus calls us to, there are certain things that we need to say no to and put a lesser emphasis than the world does on these things. Jesus says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. In our world that tells us to take care of number one, to look out for yourself, Jesus steps in and says, this is not the way my people will live. It will be different for my followers. And so what are some of the things that we need to deny ourselves of? The first thing I want to just share about is we need to die to self-interest and protection as the primary goal of life. For example, in corporate America where it's all about climbing the ladder, the bottom line and advancing your career, Jesus steps in and says, no, this is not the kind of life I've called you to. Deny yourselves. Put a lesser priority on yourself, even though that you will stand out among your colleagues. Value people more than money. 
serve in the workplace. Show compassion to those who are struggling and hurting. Don't cut corners to get ahead and sacrifice your integrity. We need to be like this in the workplace. We'll be different. We will stand out. But we need to deny ourselves for the sake of Christ. Or how about in your relationships and interactions with people? I'm, I'm constantly surprised as I observe conversations. I'm not saying it's our church, but just in the world. How often people will just sit there and talk about themselves minute after minute after minute. And the other person just sitting there, just wondering if they care at all about them. And my prayer and hope for us is that we would be different than that. That we would be the ones who show genuine interest in other people. That we would ask good questions to get to know people and really love them where they're at. Another thing that Jesus invites us to say no to is always choosing the safe and comfortable route in all situations. I mean, this doesn't mean that we're foolish, but we need to let go of always needing to stay in the bubble and protect ourselves. For example, I think of the Tuba City team, and and some of the team members had young kids on the trip. And it wasn't easy to drag little kids all across the country. And our our travel day on Saturday, we had a four-hour flight, four-hour van ride. These kids are missing their nap times or staying up late at night. They're in a dangerous place. I mean, going on a mission trip involves an element of risk and danger. But it's part of letting go of the life of comfort, comfort as we go to the corners of the earth to talk about Jesus and declare his love and good news. And I'm so proud of these families to show their kids the value of missions and serving, and that life is not always comfortable and easy when you're following Jesus. Deny yourselves. Die to self-preservation and protection. Let go of the priority of comfort and safety. And following Jesus is not all about saying no. We need to say yes to. Jesus tells us to take up our cross and to follow him. And we know that the, the cross is an instrument of death. And I think this, this phrase gets misused often. I mean, people, you know, they're going through a tough time in their life, and they're saying, I'm carrying my cross for Jesus. And, and it might be true. But what Jesus is talking about here is it's not about a situation or circumstance. He's talking about a way of life. It's all-encompassing that we would willingly lose our life in sacrifice, in steadfast obedience to him. We need to say yes time and time again to sacrifice to follow Jesus. And I think of our culture and our, our idolatry with time. I mean, time is money, as they say. And I think for us to stand apart, we need to be generous in giving away our time to honor and please God and do things that really matter for him. And I think of the the setup team that gets here early every Sunday morning, the praise team, the trailer team. I mean, week in and week out, they're generous with their time. They're laying it down to follow Jesus. 
I think about those who handle our church's finances. I'm sure there's late nights where they're staying up to make sure that we're good stewards of our money. Or those who go to a community group, you know, like you you get to community group night and you're like, man, I really don't want to go. But you've made that commitment to fellowship and gather with your brothers and sisters in Christ. And I think out in the workplace, in the neighborhood, when there's someone in crisis, we need to be willing to stop and, and be with them and attend to them, even if it messes up our planned schedule. I mean, it's one thing I love about Jesus. He was always open and available. I mean, if he was interruptible, how much more should we be interruptible? We need to say yes to steadfast obedience to follow Jesus. Pastor Frank alluded it uh, a couple weeks ago to the, the biggest loser competition that's going on among some of the pastors. I am in that. And, um, I mean, competition drives me. It, it focuses me. I, I just, uh, I do well when I'm competing against others, especially Pastor Dave. I just want to beat Pastor Dave. And so I've been, I mean, for the most part, the first few weeks, I've been locked in and focused. I mean, I have a, an eating plan, an exercise plan. I've been following it just rigorously. So much so that one morning I was, I was giving Jenna some applesauce, and there was a little bit left in the jar, and I went to scoop it up and eat it. And I said, no, I can't touch the carbs. It's that bad. I am focused. So, I mean, I think this is the kind of life that Jesus is calling us to. That we would be so fixed on him. That we'd be so locked into him, listening to him, wanting to obey him and please him, that our lives would just be ordered around that steadfast obedience No matter what the cost, we'd say, God, I want to honor you. God, I want to please you in this situation. So, for example, in marriage, when your relationship gets tough, when you're going through a tough season and there's just a lot of tension, a lot of arguments, I mean, the world will tell you just, you know, bail. You know, abandon ship. You know, it's not meant to be. You can find someone else. And God says, no, this is, the, uh, this is the vow you've made before me to love your wife, to stick it out, to obey me in marriage and sacrificially lay down your life. Or maybe for those of you who struggle with sexual purity or addictive patterns, there, there's a steadfast obedience that God asks of you that you would continue to resist temptation, to keep your eyes on Christ, to open up your life with your brothers and sisters who will walk with you and just consistently say yes to God. God, I want to honor you. I want to please you in this area of weakness and brokenness. I love Galatians 2.20. When I got baptized in college, this is the verse I shared with my church family. It says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live now in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. So again, instead of moving on to the next point, I want us to pause. Spend a few moments with God 
and ask him, God, where do I need to deny myself? What areas of my life do I need to say no to? To die to self-preservation and comfort and safety? And where do you need to grow in sacrifice and steadfast obedience and say yes to God, no matter what the cost? So right now, where you're at, just come before God. Say, God, reveal this to me. Point out the areas of my life that you want to grow. God, I pray in the midst of what you're, you're doing right now in our lives, God, that we would remember that following you is not burdensome. Your, your commandments are not burdens. But God, that you want the best life for us. And this, this life of denying ourselves and taking up our cross to follow you really is the best life to live. And so, God, I pray that you would breathe hope and grace, but that, God, we would die to the things of this world. Where there is bondage, God, that you would, you would break and, and set us free. And God, where we're very hesitant to sacrifice and to obey you, God, that your spirit would push us to say yes to you, to want to honor and please you, no matter what the cost. So God, thank you for what you're doing. We pray this in Jesus' name again. Amen. The last point is uh, a disciple's delight. The reward of a disciple. 
Verse 27, for the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels. And then he will reward everyone according to what they have done. Truly, I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Disciples' delight is to see his master glorified. Disciple does not seek his own glory, but wants to please and honor the one they're following. Back in our early years of marriage, uh, we got a, a puppy, and uh, it was more my decision than Yvonne's. And uh, his name was Reggie, after the great uh, Reggie White. He was a, a little white terrier dog. And, um, you know, I mean, dogs want to please their master. And they have those cute little eyes, and they come up to you wagging their tails. And more than anything, they want you to be happy with them. And I think this is the delight of being a disciple. As we live out our duties before God, that we would experience the joy of honoring him and pleasing him. And as this, this text tells us, the day of glory is coming when Christ will return to bring about the new creation, the restoration of all things, don't you long for that day when all in this world will be made right? We will see God face to face. And Jesus says right here that he will reward everyone according to what they have done. What we do in this life matters. It is being noticed and will be rewarded when Christ returns. And it's, there's a lot of debate about rewards in heaven. I, I don't have the time to unpack it. And I, and I don't think rewards should be our motivation. But I want to remind you that every sacrifice that you make following Jesus is worth it. Our joy and delight as we give up our lives to follow him is to know that we have the privilege of doing this life with him, making a difference for the kingdom of God in this world. But the greatest prize for us is God himself. God himself, that we have the privilege of knowing God, being in relationship with him. Our joy and reward is the relationship with the master. So this life of duty is not burdensome. There is delight and joy as we honor and please Christ. I want to circle back to the intro, the Incredibles. Are we normal? Are we too normal and ordinary? Do we stand out in this world? Are we any different than our neighbors or our coworkers or our family members who do not know Christ? And I want to remind us that the cross of Jesus Christ is not normal. That God would come as a baby in a manger to put on flesh, to humble himself. And that ultimately he would go to the cross and die a criminal's death. That is not normal. That is not ordinary. That is an extraordinary thing that God has done for us. 
And may we remember that we are followers of a crucified king. It's an upside-down way of living for God. And to remind us of this, I want to just read the lyrics from the great hymn, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. It says, When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast save in the death of Christ my God. All the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his blood. See from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did ever such love and sorrow meet, or thorns compose so rich a crown? Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small? Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life. Let's pray. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.